In a world where it seems like there's so much going wrong, I want you to see the people who are spending their lives doing and seeing the good. Welcome to the Doing Good Podcast, where we discuss the stories of people who are changing the world in their own way. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. I am so thrilled to have on the podcast today Jen Zingmark. Jen is a Latter-day Saint life coach who specializes in helping men and women partner with the Lord to find hope, healing, and happiness after divorce. She is passionate about sharing her knowledge, experience, and testimony with others to make a difference in their lives. She's been mentoring and coaching people through divorce for the last 16 years. Jen hosts and publishes a weekly podcast called Joy in the Journey with Jen to give hope and inspiration to anyone dealing with the trials of divorce. Jen is a true Southern girl born and raised in South Carolina, along with most of her ancestors that actually date all the way back to the 1600s. So almost all of her family was born, lived, and died in South Carolina. True Southern girl. Jen loves traveling and exploring the world with her family. Some of the favorite places she's visited so far are Machu Picchu, Belize, Cozumel, Morocco, Aruba, and Maui. She enjoys being active outdoors with her family and friends, running, hiking, biking, and her latest obsession, pickleball. Jen, I am so thrilled that you are able to talk with me today. And you are talking from warm, sunny South Carolina, and I am talking from cold, snowy Utah. (laughs) Yes, I was with you today. I know. I wish you were too. It's glorious here. It's sunny in 82. It's just heavenly. <laughs> oh, you know what? South Carolina really is heavenly. I've had the privilege of traveling there multiple times, lots really? of different times growing up. Oh, yes. And oh. I, I've, I've, I've done firesides there and sung there. I've traveled there with friends and family. I love South Carolina. Awesome. I so, didn't know that. What part did you go yes. to? Oh, my goodness. Well, I, and now I probably, well, Charleston. Yeah. And, but then there's some cities along the beach and I actually don't know what their names are, but there was a fireside that I did a little while ago. And there was a few cities that are like right along the beach. Um, and I can't even remember what they were. Oh, well, (laughs) it's It's all great. It's all wonderful. In a car and drive me there. But it is beautiful, like beyond it. I love that part of the country, like North Carolina, South Carolina, all, I mean, it's just stunning. It is. Well, I'm glad you appreciate it. I tell everyone it's a little slice of heaven here. And I'm telling you, people are figuring it out over COVID. It is insane how many people have moved here from California, Washington, Oregon, the Northeast. Crazy. No way. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. Well, and the beaches there are different than like a beach out in California. Like the sand is different. The water's different. Yeah, it's softer, lighter sand, warm water. Like the powdered sugar. Like Mm -hmm. it is, it it really is. I'm thinking one of my friends has some some homes out there and he's always like, we rent them out. Like anytime you want to come and we just haven't yet. And and so I'm like my my boys with my family. So I'm like, we're going to make this happen someday. We're going. You have to. It's the best. We're going to do it. So Jen, let's talk a little bit about your experience with divorce. So you are able to take your life experience. And I love when people go through something experience like grief or the loss of a child or divorce or something very traumatic and difficult in their life. And they turn it around and use it to bless other people's lives and do good. And you have been through a divorce yourself and is, is, is this what kind of got you into being a life coach and divorce mentor? Or had you 
always been interested in counseling and helping couples and families? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I always had been interested. My background is in psychology. That's what I studied when I graduated from BYU. And I thought I would go on and get a master's and do marriage and family counseling. And then, you know, I didn't go on right away. I was actually seven months pregnant with my oldest son when I graduated from BYU. I got married super young and started having my babies right away. And so I was a full-time mom just raising my family. But I did always have it in the back of my mind that that's what I would do. And I've always been just super interested in the mind and the power of the mind and in relationships and just trying to understand human behavior. I've always been reading books and just that was fascinating to me. So it was just always a pull. But then in my own life, you know, things took an unexpected turn. You know, I got married really young and I was raising my family, devoted myself to being a full-time mom. But all throughout my marriage, I was dealing with my husband's pornography addiction. And so that would sort of drive us to, you know, the bishop's office and to counseling. And I would read books about it and just pray and fast for him and and just really do everything I could to try to help him overcome that. And I, I hoped and believed that that would happen. But ultimately, it didn't. And I ended up getting a divorce when I was 30. And I had three little children. My kids were eight, six, and two when I was divorced. And it was crazy. It was a different time. This was in 2004. I didn't know anyone that was divorced. There was no social media. I, I, hadn't, I didn't even know a single man. Like I just, I'd been in this world of raising my family and I didn't really know how to navigate it. And it was, it was devastating. Like I, all I ever wanted to do was get married and raise my family and be a full-time mom and just devote myself to my family. And, and I had done that. And then there I was like, I had no income. I had no way to provide for myself and my kids. And I, I literally had no idea what I was going to do with my life, but I did know I didn't doubt that the Lord knew. I just put all of my faith and trust in the Lord. And I was like, I know he can figure this out. He will figure this out for us. He will help me. And he did. He did. And we made it. It was nuts. It was crazy times, definitely, for a while. And as I started like rebuilding my life and figuring out what I wanted for my future, I just sort of started helping other people along the way. And I ended up getting remarried within a couple of years and with my three children and my husband was also previously married. He had a daughter and then we got married and had a baby together. So we had this big blended family of five kids and gradually my stake president and my bishop, they just started sending people to me that were going through divorce. They were like, you should talk to Jen. She's been there. She'll help you. And a couple of times I was asked to speak at a fireside and and people just started coming to me. And so I just I just started helping them because I'd been there. And you know, it's like with any crisis, any life-changing experience, if you've been through it, you know how difficult it is. And with divorce, it's especially in the church, it's just like this strange world where people don't know what to say and what not yes. to say and how to talk to you and right. how to interact and like, what now? How in the world do I navigate this this life by myself? I don't have a partner anymore. I don't have 
anyone to talk to? And what do I do about going to church? I don't want to go to church anymore. Like so many people say that and feel that way. And I understand. And so I just, it, it just sort of happened naturally. I started helping people over the years and I just really have a heart for it. And I just can't, I decided no one should get divorced alone. And so I started going to court with women and even men when I would kind of mentor them. I was like, well, do you have family or friends who can go to court with you? Because in South Carolina, it's old fashioned here. You have to go to court and stand before a judge, both of you, and, oh. and get a divorce. Like that's the only way. After a year, it's a long waiting period too, if you don't have the grounds. Anyway, oh. and so I started going to court with, with everyone I was mentoring. I've gone to court with 27 people. Oh, and wow. yeah, for divorce. And it's because it's just like, it's a terrible day. It's a day you don't imagine when you're getting married and you're planning your future and building your family. It's a day you can never even think of, you know, yeah. like, you would never want that to happen. And there you are standing there with that person getting a divorce, severing those ties. And so it just kind of became like a mission for me. Like I'm, no one should get divorced alone and I'm not going to let it happen. And so I just started, you know, it sort of evolved from that. Well, it's so interesting that you say that because it was 2004 before social media that you felt so alone. And it really is true that nowadays you can almost find a community of people for anything, like at the touch of a button, like you can find people that have but lost a child, like I said, or, or been through divorce or, or that moved across the country or husband got called to somewhere foreign or, or serving in the army or anything military. You can find that like, oh, well, this person, but before social media, it, you were like, okay, who do I know in my neighborhood or ward, you know, or, or community that would be open to, it's not like you can go on a chat room or something and like make comments. I'm sure that was very isolating that you're like, I, and did you have family and people around that were able to help you when you said, okay, I knew I was able to do it, but walk me through those first steps of deciding this is what you were going to do. And then, and then what did you move out? Were you living in an apartment? Like, what did you do after? Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't really have anyone there who had been through it. And I think that's what I have decided to do for other people as be a mentor and a coach and an example and kind of walk you through and also let you know, like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. This part's really bad. It's hard but it's going to be okay. But I did have a lot of friends and family, uh, awesome neighbors and a great ward. I had a good support system, but everyone was like, this is nuts. I don't know what to tell you. Like, what do you do now? Like there weren't right. people there that could help me like figure that out. I felt they like hadn't, I'd, yeah. No, they hadn't been through it. And it is different to have sympathy for someone and feel sorry than empathy. Like, oh girl, I, I, been there. And that's something so unique that you can offer these people and how sweet it is that you go to court with them. Cause you're like, I know personally, it's not just, Oh, that, that would be really hard. You're like, Oh no, I know what that's yeah. like. Yeah. And you don't, no one should get divorced alone. But for me, it wasn't an easy decision. I don't think anyone makes a decision to get a divorce easily. No. Many of my clients come to me long before they end up getting a divorce and they want to know, like, how do I decide this? How do you possibly decide to get a divorce? Even if your marriage is miserable and you're not happy and things are, there are problems, how do you make that decision? And it, it's not easy. And I definitely don't make that decision for anyone. I don't believe I or anyone else knows what's best for you. I feel yes. like only you can make decisions for yourself. 
And I encourage everyone to partner with the Lord. And that's what I did. I just trusted that the Lord knew what was best for me and my children. And I literally lived by faith every minute, every hour. I just trusted Him through that whole process. So I was married for 11 years in my first marriage. And pretty soon after we were married, I would say within a year, I started discovering things. I was pretty naive. I was young. I didn't grow up with a dad in my home. My mom was a single mom who raised me and my sister. And so I didn't really, I had no exposure or experience with a pornography addiction. I had no idea what the signs were. And like very early on, there were obvious things like we would get a cable bill with a charge. This is old school back in the day, pay-per-view charge. And I would ask him like, what is this? And he's like, oh, that's a mistake. I'll take care of it. And okay, I trusted him. I believed him. Like I had, I had no reason not to, you know, and, you know, he was a great guy. We met in our BYU ward. He was a return missionary. He had been AP on his mission and we got married in the temple and all, everything I knew was that he was honest and loyal and trustworthy and he was a great guy, but he had this hidden addiction that I didn't know about. And I gradually became more and more aware of it. And I I read books about it and I prayed and fasted for him. And as things would come up, we would go meet with the bishop or go meet with a counselor. And I was like, we're going to do this. You know, I was there with him and I was believing in him and trusting that, you know, if I fasted and prayed and had enough faith for him, that it would help him overcome it. And ultimately it didn't, it didn't happen that way. You know, he has his agency, he had his agency and he made decisions that, you know, broke our marriage vows and broke our covenants. And first time that that happened, I had a decision to make. And it's something that you think you may hear people say, or maybe you've even thought, if my husband ever cheated on me, I could never forgive them. And I thought that. I believe that was true. But I know now that that is not true because I did forgive him. And it changed me. It changed me forever. And I don't regret doing that. It was it was hard. It was really hard. But the Lord helped me see him as a son of God and see him with this addiction and this these bad choices, but still see him as a lovable person and, and worthy of love and forgiveness from the Lord and ultimately from me. And so I did forgive. And we reconciled and, you know, I believed that he was going to be able to overcome this addiction and had had hoped that that would happen. And then he ended up having another affair. And at that point, I realized it was pretty soon after, like within a year. And at that point, I realized this is going to be a pattern. I changed. I I learned that I could forgive and I was able to forgive and love him again and, yeah. and trust him again. But pretty quickly. It was gone, all of that. And I had a decision to make. Like I recognized if I forgave again and reconciled and we just went on like normal, that was the pattern of our life. That me for him cheating and me forgiving would be the pattern for the rest of our life. And as I thought and prayed about it, and I thought about my my son. My son was eight years old at that time, my oldest. And then I had a six-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son. And I just looked in their faces and I just prayed. And all I could think is if I stay and I, I 
commit to living the rest of my life like this, then I will raise my son to do this, to think that's normal. Because mm-hmm. as your kids get older, things like this, they're, you can't hide that from them as they're older. When they're young, they didn't really know at the time what was happening. But as they get older, it becomes more obvious what's happening. And I knew that I would raise my son to think this is what men do. And I would raise my daughter to think, believe this is what women do. And I just couldn't, I couldn't do that. I had, I had devoted my life to being the best mother and setting the best example for them and living the gospel the best way I knew how. And I just did not feel like I could do that. And so I, I prayed and, and I got confirmation that I should seek a divorce. And I moved forward with that. And the Lord just blessed me. Once I received that confirmation and I started walking on that path, even though that was like the scariest revelation I've ever felt in my life. It was like, how could that be? But I knew that if the Lord confirmed that that's what I should do, He would provide a way. And that's when I say I lived literally hour by hour in faith because there's there's no instruction book for how to get a divorce. At least there wasn't then. There's a lot more help available online and resources. But you know, I didn't have an attorney. I didn't know what is the law and like, what are the rules? Like, there's so many things. And it just unfolded literally everything I needed, the legal proof and finding the attorney and getting it filed and and the financial situation. He had been pretty erratic. My ex-husband, like in his work habits and things, would, with his cycle of abuse, that was sort of the cycle of his life. He could be really successful, but then then go into really low times and not be, and it was unstable. And so it just, everything worked out beautifully. The Lord just provided, and I was able to stay in my home, and my kids and I, our lives really didn't change. Before, he had been traveling a lot with his job anyway, all the time, and the biggest epiphany I had was that our lives really didn't change that much. We were so blessed and he just moved out and we stayed there and we, you know, had our ward family and our neighborhood family and all of my family really close by. And it was just such a a sweet time that I felt the Lord's love just wrap around me and my children and help us through that time. Oh, Jen, that is so tender. And I realize that as as we're talking on these podcasts and I'm asking my sweet guests very intimate personal details about their lives, I'm so grateful that you're open in sharing this with, with my listeners. And I know when we talk, it's just us two. You know, it's just as if we're girlfriends talking, but I know that there are lots of people that listen and, and that are going to benefit from hearing your strength and your testimony. And, and first of all, thank you for sharing your heart and for talking with us about something that that was so painful and life-changing for you. And I, I love that you said that you talked about being able to forgive your husband and, and that for you, that didn't mean that you stayed married to him, but it meant that you were able to give him and his trial to the Lord mm-hmm. and that he was able to heal him and heal you. There are, I, I know friends that, that, have stayed and that that have made it work so far you know with their husbands mm-hmm. and, and like you said like every situation is different but also in your case that you were actually able to receive a answer that it was okay to move on and heal on your own and and in the in our LDS faith and culture obviously we we do believe families 
are together forever. And we do believe in forgiveness and the atonement and all those wonderful things. But I think it, it's so important that we bring up that women that feel like if if they're in this cycle of of distrust and and their husbands continuing to to dishonor them by by cheating on them and leaving them and it's not that they hate them or they're bad and I mean maybe they do for a time and that we want to blame them but it's not that it's that like you said am I willing to live the rest of my life this way mm-hmm. and 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 to be very brave and say no. And it doesn't mean I don't love him or wish the best for him, but I can't live this way and I can't let my children live this way. Yeah, that was the biggest thing for me. I did once I understood and I, I, I learned to forgive and love him enough to forgive. I did feel like I could forgive him again. And I ultimately did forgive him again. I just chose not to stay married. I couldn't decide to accept that that's how I would raise my children. And that's really what made the biggest impact for me. That's what helped me make that make that decision. And when I took my decision to the Lord, I received confirmation without a doubt that that's what was right for me and my children. Jen, if there's women that are listening to this and that are maybe going through something similar with their husband, whether it's addiction or affairs or or maybe some other kind of, of physical, emotional abuse, or whatever it is that are, are making, or men that are making them um, consider. Were you able to receive support from your church leaders, bishops, and stake presidents? Like, tell me about that process. Like, going to meet with them, seeking counsel from them. How how did that play out? Asking them, and did you find that it was? no stay at all costs or were they understanding and helpful and helping you both seek that healing? Yeah, I have to say I was really blessed with a wonderful bishop who he met with me every week once he found out, like once my husband moved out. He was so kind and he would always have print out conference talks. This is back in the day, y'all. He would print out talks and give them to me every week, like read these two talks. Like he he just put so much love and care into his ministering for me. And I felt it. And my children and my home teachers at that time, they were just so kind and careful. But something that I think is really important, and I think it's pretty standard, at least now, but my bishop did at the time is, I don't think bishops counsel people to stay or go. I don't necessarily think it's their place. Just like me, I'm a life and divorce coach, but I don't counsel my clients to make, I don't tell them decisions to make in their life. I give them tools to make better decisions and help them reach the goals that they want. And my bishop supported me. He he did not tell me to get a divorce or not get a divorce. He knew exactly what had happened with the choices that my ex-husband had made, the covenants that were broken, the st- like what was going on with the addiction with him. And then he said, what do you want to do? What what do you feel like the Lord wants you to do? And then when I told him my decision, he honored that and supported me in that 100%. But he didn't try to persuade me either way to stay or get a divorce. He said, I know the Lord will, will help you find that out. And I'm praying that you will find out. And when I did, he supported me. And he was so wonderful. We met every week, like I said, and just really supported me the whole time that I was single. 
Well, and I think that's that's important that you put that, that you point that out. Is is bishops and stake presidents were, do so much for us and for the Ward family, and and as as a judge in Israel, they are help able to help us overcome our sins and and point us in the right direction. But like you said, that they don't make the decisions, and that's something that is so personal. And I I think it's wonderful that you were able to receive counsel without you should do this or you mm-hmm. should do this because. And as another woman could come in the exact same situation and feel like I'm actually going to stay and, or, you know, or a man could come and say, I feel like I should get a divorce. I mean, it just, every situation is so unique, which is why I think your advice of just taking it to the Lord and fasting and praying, going to the temple is the very best thing you can do. And then trusting that he will let you know, because he wants you and your husband both to live wonderful, happy, full lives, and for those sweet children to be raised in the very best environment possible. These are not easy things to do. So I want to know after you had made the decision and decided to get that divorce and that you felt like you were sustained and uplifted with your sweet little family, with Heavenly Father helping you, when did you begin to think, maybe I could date again and trust again? Did you kind of think, I don't even want to think about marriage or this is too hard. How could, what if the same thing happens? Did that fear enter your heart or were you open to, no, I want to have a husband and to have a man in my life? How were you able to even broach that dating again? Yeah, it was crazy. I have to say that was that was a challenge for me because I'd always wanted to be married. I never wanted to be single. I never had this idea that, you know, I'll just raise my children on my own. But I also had a huge distrust for men. And and because I was raised by a single mom and I just really didn't know, are there men out there that are that are worthy and righteous and and want to live the life that I want to live, that want to live on the covenant path and raise a family together? And it really just took trusting the Lord. I throughout my whole marriage, I didn't mention this, but I I literally found refuge in the temple. And I would run away. I remember getting in arguments with my ex-husband and I would just go drive to the temple and just go walk in and do something. Like I just, it was my my safe place and where I found peace. And I could just commune with the Lord and pray silent prayers and hear Him. And so when I was separated and single, I was like, I'm going to go every week. I'd never, I had three kids. I'd never had a night off ever, weekend off. You know, and I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm a mom. So I went to the temple. I started going every week, whatever day he would get, my ex-husband would see my kids. I'm like, oh, great. I'll go to the temple. And so it was through that process of going to the temple and just praying and trusting and serving there with other faithful men and women. I, I, I definitely wanted a family and I wanted to get remarried. I knew that's what I wanted in my heart, but the Lord had to help me get to the point where I could trust that there would be a worthy man who want who would honor his covenants that who wouldn't be, you know, the same. And so it took it took a big leap of faith. And I I did sort of set a high standard. I was like, I'm not gonna the Lord's gonna have to send him to the temple. Like I'm I'm not gonna meet someone that doesn't already have a temple recommend. Like I just I was like, I knew that's where I hung out and where I spent my free time. I'm like, maybe he'll be here. I don't know. <laughs> I was always looking around at all the 80-year-old men like, please tell me. <laughs> but anyway, 
I was the Lord through the Lord's help. <laughs> well, tell me where you did meet your husband. Your Actually, husband. yes. <laughs> okay. So when I found out I would have a weeknight off during the week and then during the, on my Friday or Saturday, I would go to the temple. I looked around, I was like, I want to do something for myself. I want to take a class. I'll take a photography class or I don't know, do something at the local university. And I couldn't find anything to do. I'm like, how is there nothing on a Wednesday night? But there was adult institute class at the local University of South Carolina, and it's open for all adults. And mostly it's young single adults, but I was 30, you know, I was on the cusp. So I was starting going to that. And the first week I went, I was like, I'm married because my divorce wasn't final. I was still no. wearing my wedding ring. It's like, I'm just here for the class. I'm married, yeah. not like trying to meet anyone. Yes. And so, yeah. So I started going to that adult institute class on Wednesday night and it was so wonderful. It was another just spiritually, you know, filling activity to do when I was really struggling. And I actually ended up meeting my second husband through adult institute class. We met there. Oh, yeah. Jen, I think it's amazing and so admirable that you were able to run to the Lord instead of away from him during this trial. And and I'd like to ask how you were able to do that because I, I know there is a tendency, and even in my own life when I'm going through a really difficult thing, to not necessarily turn away from the Lord, but almost just shut down and go into your own little hole and not be able to come out and be like, why would Heavenly Father do this to me? Why doesn't He care? And, and you know, he Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are men. And yeah. it, it, it's hard sometimes for women to be like, trust anyone and to be like, why would that happen? And why would they preside and hold the priesthood? And then they do this to me. And how were you able to turn to your Savior and Heavenly Father by going to the temple and institute instead of saying, I'm taking a break from all this. I don't want any man in my life. I don't want anyone. And, and Heavenly Father, how could you say that He loves me and cares about me when He's putting me through this? How were you able to not think those negative thoughts and turn towards them instead? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, that had been my pattern in my marriage. Like when there were problems, I just went to the Lord. I trusted the Lord. I trust, I knew He wasn't causing the problems. He wasn't the reason why my ex-husband had this addiction and, and was acting out on it. And I knew the Lord was the only place I could get relief and comfort and help. And I just, I already knew that. And so when it came to my marriage falling apart and just being in these really uncharted waters, really scary place, you know, like I didn't know how, if, how, if I would have financial support because he was pretty unstable and just, I literally didn't know how I was going to live from day to day. And I was like, but the Lord knows, the Lord already, he knows all of this. And I know he knew my heart. I know he knew if he had told me that day in the temple when I prayed for an answer, if he had told me to stay, I would have stayed. I would have stayed because I just trust the Lord. I know he knows better than me what is best for my children, for me. And I just, I trusted him. And so I honestly felt like I can't trust anyone else. How could I ever? Why would I go to a bar? Why would I even think of dating a non-member? Like when you go through a divorce, I'm telling you, people come out of the woodworks, high school friends and college friends and my neighbors, everyone, good people. You know, I'm in the South. Everyone's Christian and they're all just wonderful, good people. And they had good intentions, but everyone wanted to set me up with someone. 
And they're like, you tried that Mormon guy. Didn't work out. Look what he did. He lied. He cheated, you know? And I was like, I'm sorry. I thought it doesn't matter. I can't trust anyone else. I'm not going out of the the church standards and even raise my standards even more. I was like, no, like I, I, I appreciated all the support and the friends and everyone that came out with, you know, good ideas and good set, whatever, wanting to set me up. But I just trusted the Lord really above everyone else. Even I had really, I had close family members and friends even that, that didn't think I should get a divorce. Everyone has opinions about, you know, your situation and people were like, what are you, you need to stay just for financial reasons. What are you thinking? Like you can't support yourself and like things. And I was just like, the Lord will provide. He will. I know what is right. And I know the answer that I got. And I just had that much trust and faith. And that is really what has motivated me to help other people. Because now that it's been so many years and I've helped so many people, I've seen a lot of other people come out differently who feel really lost, really disillusioned, angry at God and about you know, I've done all the right things and why is yep. this happening? And, you know, normal feelings. And I, I, that's why I feel this, this like mission and like it's become my ministry to help inspire hope and to help people turn to the Lord, to partner with the Lord through this time. You know, our trials, our struggles, whatever they are, addiction or death or divorce, it is to bring us closer to the Lord. And if we pass on this chance, we'll get another chance. Those opportunities, they're going to keep coming, right? Our refinement, our fine tuning, it's going to happen. And so the sooner we accept it and embrace it and trust that it's better, it's better this way. The Lord is improving and helping us. And if we can embrace it and turn to Him and trust Him in what is happening, then we're going to get to the joy faster. That's what my whole goal is, is you're going to get there, but you don't need to take the long road. You don't need to go around and go through more misery than you have to, you know, and divorce is, is hard. And there are a lot yeah. of hard consequences that come along with it. Like yeah. telling my children that we were getting a divorce, like, I was like, cut my arm off before maybe making me do that. Literally, yes. like, I couldn't imagine anything worse. It was, it was really, really hard. And then living with those consequences of like my eight year old crying at night because he wanted his dad and I did too. So yeah. we laid in bed together and cried and held his shirt. And it was hard. It was really hard. Well, but we got through it. And I know that it was it was important for our for our lives, and I did find joy even in that hard time because I turned to the Lord. Your trust and faith in the Lord is so inspiring; it really is. And and I and I love to ask you that with your children specifically. How were you able to help them navigate? the difficult challenges of of divorce and and honor that they loved their dad and and honor that they they wanted to see him that he was a part of their life and also that but that you weren't going to be living together as husband and wife anymore how were you able to do that yeah that it was it was hard 
It was definitely hard. But I always told them, we are still a family. Yeah. We are still a family. Like I kept saying that and reminding them that Heavenly Father is part of this family too. And when now in our home, he's the father, he's here. And we pray to him and we thank him and we remember him and we count on him to help us figure out things. And so I tried to just always steer them back to that. And then I was pretty honest with them about what was happening as like age appropriately. But I met with a child psychologist and like had them meet with a child psychologist and just said, how do I talk to them about this? What do I tell them? And it was an LDS person. And she was like, you need to tell them the truth. You need to help them learn from this also as much as they can at that age. Like as they grew up and they had more specific detailed questions, then I would answer more in detail later. But at the time, you know, they knew we got a divorce because dad broke his covenants and he didn't honor the promises he made when we got married and that that was the reason. And, you know, I was honest about that. But that, you know, they still loved him. I I wanted them to still love them. And we would pray for him. And, you know, I left it pretty much up to to him, my ex-husband. The relationship that he had with them after that, that was up to him. Well, I think that's so smart of you to be able to do and, and to to do it in a way that is, I, I'm always just an advocate for honesty. And, and like you said, that you don't have to go into details that a little eight-year-old wouldn't understand or comprehend, but something as simple as he broke his covenants and, and was dishonest and, and didn't keep his covenants to mom that, that, you know, they could understand something like that. Like he did Mm -hmm. something wrong that wasn't right and, and, and hurt mommy. And like, that's, I think the best way. So it's not, oh, well we, you know, we just decide, cause if, if it's almost like, well, we just decide it wasn't working, then kids are like, oh, so if it doesn't work, you just get divorced. I mean, it's almost confusing of, well then just, say you're sorry, you know, like, right. you know, like, we'll just make it better instead of, no, this was something that was very serious, that mm-hmm. there's a reason that it's that that's, I would think would be more of a security for kids to know there was mom would never do this unless there was something major instead of we just gave up and decided exactly. we didn't want to be a family anymore. Yeah. That's why I thought it was really important. And I, I agreed with the counsel from the child psychologist yeah. and, I, and I just stuck with that. And that was it. We didn't, we didn't have to go into detail. Like we didn't talk about it anymore. That was, that was it. One, one explanation. And then as they got older, we talked about it more, but at that time it was very simple. I love that. And having the open conversation with them. So now Jen, in your work that now that you are going through this with other people and that you are a divorce coach and helping them, if there are people listening and they're like, well, how how do I know if what the signs are? And we had talked a little bit before we recorded you and I, and you said there are, even though I can't obviously predict the future and I can't tell anyone what to do, I definitely know patterns and signs Mm -hmm. of this looks like it's going in the direction of reconciliation, or this looks like it might be going in the direction of a divorce that mm-hmm. how, what, what is the difference? And, you know, in our little five minute counseling session we're doing here, what, mm-hmm. how do people n- know, like, what are some of the signs that they can look for? 
Yeah, something that I have noticed in my own life and in and the lives of many other people that I've helped is that especially when someone is dealing with an addiction of any type, if the only time they're sorry and they want to repent and restore things is when they're caught, it's not sincere. It's not sincere. And that's what I experienced in my first marriage and I've seen in many other people's relationships. And I know it's a terrible addiction. Pornography, I know we talked about this a little bit before, but I would like to add that I do have so much sympathy and compassion for anyone who is afflicted with this addiction because there's so much shame and self-loathing and regret and remorse that goes along with it. And I, I know that, I saw that with my ex-husband and, and it, it actually helped me have compassion for him to see how much that is a part of the addiction, that they really hate themselves for, for what they do and the ways they act out on the addiction. Yeah. And it's terrible. It's the people that are trapped in it, they're, they're just so miserable. And it's, it's, it's so sad. But unless they are the person advocating for more communication about it and more help with it, they're advocating for counseling or, you know, a therapist or someone to help them and you're just going along for the ride, it doesn't matter because it's part of the cycle to want to make amends, to, to feel bad, to regret and have remorse for what they've done. But if that is only happening because they were caught, then there's nothing underneath that's going to motivate them to stick with that overcoming it. It has to come from them. It cannot come from you. It can't, it, it, it's not enough. Yeah. Because I know I gave as much as humanly possible of my own will and determination and faith and trust. And I was like, I can give it to you. I can do it for you. Yes. Why isn't it happening? Because it yes. has to come from them. And yes. I've seen in relationships and I have seen couples who have had problems, either extramarital affairs or, or addiction of some type where it came out and there was, you know, repentance and restitution and they reconciled and their marriage was better than before and more open and they healed things that hadn't been healed before. And it was even better. So I know that it's possible. I, I do believe that any marriage can work for any two people where both are willing and want to partner with the Lord to make their marriage work, whatever that means. I, I firmly believe that. And I'm very much pro-marriage. Like I tell, if my client wants my opinion, I'll say the best person to work it out with is the father of your children. I promise. You don't know. You don't know what it's like dealing with exes and alimony and child support. And, you know, like, don't do it. If you can, yeah. don't get divorced. So I'm very pro-marriage. But I also know that that doesn't always happen, you know, like yeah. in my case and for many people. But it is possible that people recover and, and, and heal and stay together and work it out. But the biggest sign that I have seen is that the instigator Whatever person has broken a covenant or broken a promise or broken, you know, the vows of a marriage, if that person isn't the one advocating for help and change and restitution and changing themselves in a way 
that they will overcome that addiction or those behaviors, then it's not real. It's not lasting. And most likely it's going to repeat whatever that, that behavior was most likely will repeat. And so if there is someone that has been through this and, and, and that has been through an addiction, I mean, we're, we're kind of going off of the pornography is the reason for this talk in talking with a divorce today, because that's your experience. If, if, if they are the ones to admit it and keep coming and keep trying, when would you say, I mean, and this is probably a difficult question to answer too, but as much as they repent and say them sorry and come and confess on their own, is that the biggest indicator or is it, well, they're never going to get through this, even though they're confessing to me and they're talking to me and they're going to counseling, they're doing all the things like, you know, when, when should a woman be patient and wait for it to work out? Or when do you know if it's time to move on if they are sincere and, and trying to repent? Because it might be that when they confess, there will be slip ups t- mm-hmm. a few times after because it's been this lifelong addiction. There might be where it's like, I'm going to do the best I can, but there might be times that I fall back. Mm-hmm. Is it okay to still stay and forgive them then? Or when is it time to know that this is a pattern that won't stop. How do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I wish there were a way to know like this will never happen and I can trust. I don't, we never have that. And like in all marriages, you have to have trust. We yeah. don't know what our spouse is doing, thinking, looking at all the time. We yeah. have to trust that, you know, we can trust what they're doing and the things they're doing when we're not together. But I would say just from my experience and what I have seen is that when the person is caught, if that is the only time that they are the least bit open about talking about the problem, confessing anything, admitting anything, if the only time they do that is when they're caught and they only confess what was found, then that's a big indication. And especially with pornography, whatever you have seen or whatever you have found, is the tip of a giant iceberg, 100%. It's it's just such a a dark addiction. So much of it hides in the dark. And, And most of the time, what people find is just that little tiny tip. And so if the person is only confessing what you found and only after you found it, then they're not motivated to confess because they want help or because they want to overcome it. They're motivated to confess what you found because they're caught and they want it to go away fast. So they're like, yes, yes. Okay. Yes. You're right. I did that. I'm so sorry. So sad. Never do it again. Well, you know, if they want help and they want to change, then they have to become the biggest advocate for their change. And that means talking about it all the time, not just when they're caught, not when you bring it up, but because they are like, this is important. I have a problem. I want to fix it. How can I get help? And they need to be actively pursuing help Mm. from every source, every source Mm. they can find, bishop, counselor, books, you know, and becoming an advocate, especially someone who's, let's say, working through it. They can become an advocate to help other people 
And I know with pornography addiction, that is a big thing that they have mentors and with the church addiction recovery service program, it's a really big incentive to become a mentor to help someone else. And it's a good way to talk about it. That's positive because it's, it's not something you want to bring up all the time with other people, but if you can help someone else who's struggling, if you can be their lifeline to call when they're feeling tempted or if you can talk about how you overcame things, then that's going to keep it out in the light. It's going to keep them moving forward, moving with that momentum in a positive direction on their own. You yeah. shouldn't be, You should not have to be involved in that. If you're the spouse and you want to know, is my spouse sincere or not? How can I yeah. can tell if they really want to do this? You should almost have no part in it. You should be a witness to, to them instigating all of that. Oh, I love that. Moving forward. And you just are witnessing it. Looking back in my marriage, I see it was me. I found something. I called the bishop. I read a book. I'm like, here, do this, do this, do this. And we never talked about it again until I brought it up. I found something else, right? And so, and I've seen with lots of other people, if the only time it comes up is if you're bringing it up, then it's not important to them. It's yep. not on the top of their mind. It's they, they aren't addressing their addiction. They're somewhere in that cycle, but it is not addressing overcoming it. Those are such good insights. And I, uh, from, from people I've talked to and, and women that I've watched go through similar things, I think that is 100% accurate. My really good friend, Corinne Stoko is very open. She has this amazing website and Instagram. It's Mint Arrow. And, and she has these awesome deals on clothes and stuff. But she decided to share about her husband's pornography addiction. And she ended up doing the 12-step program herself because she's like, I wanted to save him and rescue him. And I'd get so mad every time I'd catch him or he'd slip or he'd confess to me, what is wrong? Okay, we have to do this. We have to do that. And she realized that she could not save him. He, he Only he could save himself. So she ended up doing the 12 step for her. And she said at, at the point where she get, gave his salvation in, in, into his hands and said, this is up to you. He took it on his own. And she's like, it never worked before then. Like, let's yeah. go to 12 step. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's yeah. go. And it didn't work. And then at the point where she stepped back and said, you decide, he d- decided and took it into his own hand and, and they've, they've, they've stayed together and stayed married, but he had to ultimately decide, am I willing to do this for me in our relationship? Not because my wife is dragging me along and forcing and making me do it. And, and I think as women, like that's what we're born and bred to do. We're the, we're the nurturers. We're the, we're, we're the, 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 the saviors is, of our family. Elder Holland is referred to us as that in burying our mm-hmm. children and bearing their sins and their burdens. And we take that on and we think we can save you. We can help you. And women are so amazing at doing that, but ultimately we can't, it's up to them to make those decisions. So and- true. You're right. That is a hundred percent right. Once they take it on themselves, that's how you can tell they are going to overcome it or they yes. are working on overcoming it sincerely. If you're the driver, nothing has changed. Yes. Nothing has changed. No, the only thing that's changed is you are aware of something yes. you weren't aware of before. But otherwise, yes. they're not different. It's a right. And, difference. and what motivation do they have? Because they're like, well, if it happens again, she'll just help me and we'll work it out. And they, they're like, well, she'll just do it for me. I mean, it's almost mm-hmm. like what 
why would they be motivated to do that if they, if they know, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like you have to take responsibility for your own life and to do that. So, so Jen, if people are listening and they're like, okay, I would love to talk with you or meet with you. Do you do any kind of, uh, I know you're in South Carolina yeah. and a lot of my audience is not all, but a lot is based out here in good old Utah. And so do yeah. you do online courses? Do you do one-on-one men- mentoring through internet classes or how could people get a hold of you if they're like, I want to learn more from Jen and talk with her about my specific situation? Yes. So I do all of my coaching online over Zoom. I have lots of clients in Utah, Arizona, Idaho. Most are not here. I do have quite a few here in South Carolina, but most are not. So yeah, I do one-on-one coaching. I have done group programs and I'm actually speaking at women's conference and a BYU coming up in May. So yeah, I'll be out there. Yeah, I'm excited. That is so great. So where can, do you have a website? Where can people go to get a hold of you? Yes. So my website is ldsdivorce.com and they can find all my information there. And I also have a weekly podcast where I put out free content. There's no ads. And I just share tools to help people become empowered to trust the Lord and find hope and healing in their divorce journey. And so that's Joy in the Journey with Jen. And it's available on anywhere you listen to podcasts. So yeah, I'd love for people to find that. Oh, that is so wonderful. Jen, it has been such a pleasure speaking with you today. I know it's a heavy subject and I know you kind of live in this space a lot of the time, but you are just so full of light. It just radiates from you. And and I think it is so admirable, like I said at the beginning, that you can take something that was so hard and so difficult and turn it around to bless other people's lives and help them feel that support and hope, 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 hope more than anything of a better life, whether that's staying and reconciling with their husband or, or, or getting that difficult divorce, but being able to move on and heal that you're just there to help and give information and support because you've been there, done that. I think it's so awesome that you are using your talents and abilities to do so much good in this world. So Thank you for coming on the podcast today and sharing your journey and experience with us. Again, people can listen to Joy in the Journey with Jen, available on all podcasts, wherever it is, and then Mm -hmm. ldsdivorce.com if you'd like more information. Yes. Thank you so much, Carmen. This has just been such a pleasure. And honestly, I feel like it's a labor of love. It's like I said earlier, if you haven't been through divorce, then it's hard to even understand all of the nuances that go along with it. But because I have been there myself and with so many other people, I'm so grateful to be able to help and lift their spirits and give people hope. I do feel like that is the biggest thing. It's it's disillusioning. It it's, yeah. you know, everything's thrown upside down and and it's confusing. And so many people, it's an epidemic in our world today, seriously, divorces. And so many people get lost during this time. That's another thing I've noticed. Like, even if you're the faithful one, even if you're the one who kept all their covenants and your spouse was the one who left you, left the church, left everything, those people many times end up disillusioned and losing their hope and faith in the process. It it happens to both people. And I just, I don't know, I have just felt a call from the Lord to really try to help people. And it's such an honor and a blessing to be able to do it and to see the change that happens. Like when you just partner with the Lord, you can have happiness and joy in your life again and have a beautiful, wonderful 
life, even if it's, you know, you've had to go through this hard time and hard things. It's okay. It doesn't mean you can't have a beautiful, hopeful, happy life afterwards. I love that so much. And I, I think that's the biggest thing for people to realize is that no matter what difficult trial or loss they experience in life with, with death or divorce or, or, you know, separation or anything that even if, if your marriage is over or something ends that your life isn't over, that the Heavenly Father won't just say, Oh, wow, that was your one chance and sorry, too bad forever. That right. no, not that yeah. your life can, and you are just living proof of that, that even going through something so dark and difficult, like, oh, there is hope and light and sunshine on the other side of something so dark and Heavenly Father always shows up for us. I love that message so much. He does. Thank you so much again. Thank you. I am Carmen Herbert, and I'm so excited to tell you about an amazing app that my whole family loves. It's called Our Turtle House, and it's full of literally thousands of hours of full-length talks, just like the old talk on CDs or talk on tapes, from some of your favorite Latter-day Saint speakers like John By the Way, Mick Johnson, Hank Smith, me, and a ton more. Plus, there's podcasts, firesides, devotionals, come follow me resources, and entertaining content your whole family will enjoy, truly, all in one little app. And you can use promo code doing good, all one word, at checkout, and you get a full month free. So check it out and sign up at ourturtlehouse.com. See you soon.